Hi there, I'm Imlin Miles Manning, your host for the Minority Money Podcast. I'm glad you're here. You know why? Because this is the place where you can come for your weekly finance, family, and fitness motivation to not only experience the success in those areas yourself, but to help others in our community achieve greatness as well. I'm super happy to get on with the show, so let's get going. Welcome to the Minority Money Podcast. I am your host, Emlyn Miles Mattingly, financial advisor and president of Gen Next Wealth, a financial planning and investment firm. Today, we have an outstanding episode for you. If you ever heard of the book, The Millionaire Next Door, well, there's another book that was written after that called The Next Millionaire Next Door. And this book was written by the daughter of the great, late Dr. Thomas Stanley. Today, we are going to be joined by his daughter, Dr. Sarah Falah. She's going to talk to us about a lot of different things today, but we're going to talk about the timeless behaviors of millionaires. Thank you for joining us today, Dr. Sarah Falah. Thank you so much for having me. So, I mean, there's, it, it's the book, first book came out 20 years ago or more than 20 years yeah. ago. Yep. And then we have the new book that came out, I believe, 2016, right? Yeah, actually last year. So just, it's not even a year old yet. Yep, yep. So it, it was last year because I did buy yeah. it last year and read. I did read it. Yes. So yeah. it was absolutely phenomenal. And the thing that shocked me the most is that most millionaires weren't born, they were made. Yeah, you know, that's been sort of the, I guess, the you know, most interesting finding, I would say, you know, throughout the years that my father researched wealth building in America. And certainly, you know, we, we see it today that wealth is primarily made over time, not handed down from one generation to another. And I think that that's one of the, you know, kind of myths that people have about being wealthy or, or you know, building wealth over time. And so it was really interesting to see that same trend, you know, in 2016 or 18, you know, 16, when we collected the data that that, you know, continued on. Yeah. That's, uh, that was, that's where I got it. You guys collected the data in 2016. Yes, I was like, where did this right. number come yeah, from? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yep, I was like, that's, that's right. a, so, okay. So I, okay. You so, weren't, yes. Yeah. We'll, we'll let you off the hook for that one. <laughs> thank yep. you. I was worried. Yeah. I was like, I, I <laughs> no, no. research before the guests come on. Yep. I was like, I know yep. I got 216 from 2016 no, no. somewhere, but, uh, so, Sarah, can you give us a brief introduction, a little bit about your background and, you know, how you got started with what you're doing now? Yeah, so I, you know, I came into the uh, sort of financial um, psychology research area, if you will, in kind of a strange way. So I started out as an industrial psychologist where I spent many years helping organizations figure out who to hire. So if they were, um, for example, going to hire a management team or um, even staff a call center or something like that, you know, how, how should they make those decisions? Um, what are the critical competencies for success in those jobs? And then what kind of tools could you use, either assessments or interviews? Or you know, if you've ever taken a personality test, you can not thank me for that, but uh, maybe, uh, you know, uh, remember it a little bit fondly, but things like that. And of course, as you mentioned, my father had spent his lifetime as a marketing research professor and then later as a consultant and, and writer. And so he really studied different populations and primarily affluent populations. And so 
part of what I did as we began to work together several years ago was say, kind of ask the question, well, what could actually predict someone's success at personal finance? Um, so if you think about, again, what I was doing before, which was what predicts success on a certain job, that's kind of how data points and the company and the research that we do kind of focuses on how we manage our financial lives. How are you managing that? What are the critical competencies that it takes to be successful? And then, of course, if you know, maybe we're not so high on some of those, how can we improve those over time? And so that's kind of how I got into this field. And um, thankfully, also, I worked for a a company in the HR tech space. So that's how I created my own fintech company. So had that sort of background and, of course, legacy of research from my father as well. I love the word legacy of research. Like, um, if for anyone that hasn't read the book, listeners, like, do yourself a favor and get the book, The Millionaire, The Next Millionaire Next Door. Um, I think it's incredible uh, and very eye-opening about some of the research that was in there. Um, and, I'll, and I'll talk, you know, we'll, we'll get into some of the questions, but the theme is going to be the, the timeless behaviors of millionaires. Yep. Um, and when, I, when I'm sitting here and I'm reading the book, like, you know, I'm, I'm reading it and I'm talking to my wife about what I'm reading and she's like, really? You know, like, the most common watch of millionaires, I think, was like a Casio or a Seiko or something like that. Right. Um, and most of them drove Toyota Camrys. Um, yep. You know, it, it was. I was like, wow. Okay, so you know, and so one of the questions that I always ask when I go to uh, talk at different places, especially when I'm talking to young young uh, adults, young kids, uh, my question is, what do you think a millionaire looks like? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to learn. I mean, those are, the, those are great questions. I think, you know, we hear that. Um, so we have three daughters, one of whom is in um, high school now. And so it's interesting to hear kind of their perspective, you know, all of their perspectives on what wealth is, right? And, and oh, well, this person had, you know, this, this type of iPhone, or I saw their parents and they were driving this kind of car, that means that they must be wealthy. And we've, you know, over and over again, having to have those conversations with them, because, you know, wealth is so confused with what people are buying. And it's just not the same thing. And I think that that's a lesson that really takes some time um, in terms of you know, teaching to your children, but certainly remembering yourself when you're out there in the world. Absolutely. And so with all of the research that, you know, not only you've done, but your your father has done, um, there's some things that people like, you know, people will say that they want to be a millionaire. People will say mm-hmm. that they want to have, you know, money in the bank and they want to be able to live in the house they want to live in. And and they do probably want some of those nicer things. Like, you know, maybe they sure. want a nicer car. Maybe everybody doesn't want to drive a Toyota can, <laughs> right. you know, right. which there's nothing wrong with that, but I'm just, yep. you know, so when you're looking at these things, how do you, how can someone tell about their financial readiness for change? Mm. You know, I think that when we think about, you know, if you think about any change that you're trying to make in your life, there are a couple of things that go into it. The first one is sort of, uh, you know, being open to that change. There are a lot of us who might not love change when it comes, you know, let's say on our, at our job or in our family and others of us that are seeking it out, right? We rearrange our, our furniture all the time or we you know, want to try new and different places to eat. But when it comes to our finances, you know, 
really being open to a different way of spending and saving and investing is kind of the first step uh, in terms of making a financial change. The next piece that's important, of course, is then to to be able to make those changes stick. Uh, we call that a change efficacy. So I can actually, you know, once I've decided to make a change, I can actually implement that change in my life. And um, if you've read Charles Duhigg's book, Habit, you know, that's a great one to talk that talks about sort of replacing some of the things that we do that aren't so great with some better behaviors. Um, But it really does take time to make those habits stick and make them something that you're doing without thinking. So that's the other piece. I think, you know, also um, just being open to having conversations about your lifestyle and thinking about things in a different way. You know, I think a lot of us, uh, you know, we get sort of stuck in a rut. We've decided this is the kind of lifestyle we want and we're just perfectly content with it. But in order to achieve long-term financial goals, we may have to make some changes. And so I think just even being open to discussing and thinking about a different way of living your life is important as well. Nice. So when you say like open to what are some of the changes? Like I know we're talking about the readiness for change, but what are some of the mm-hmm. changes that you would see um, with people that are going to like, we'll get into data points in a little while. Cause I, I think that's such a, I love that tool. I took the test and I felt great after I took the test. It was, yeah. So we'll talk about that later, but when you're, when you're talking yeah. about change, um, like what are some of the changes that people should make if they're trying to become more financially successful. And I, I know that's such a broad term because what does financial success mean anyways, mm-hmm. right? But mm-hmm. if someone's trying to make changes in their financial situation, now we're saying we're ready. What are some of the changes that people typically make to get there? Yeah. So, you know, we, so at at data points, and again, I'm not a financial planner like you, so I'm not the expert in those specifics, but um, what we focus on are those sort of behavioral factors that need to change, um, those sort of competencies of wealth. When we think about, again, sort of the characteristics of someone that's really good at managing their financial life, those are the things that we tend to stress when we try to help someone change over time. And so those things include some of the factors that we do measure at data points, but things like becoming more confident, really building your knowledge, really learning, being sort of a lifelong learner when it comes to your financial life, which even if you're, you know, finance has never, and money has never been something that's interesting to you, having an appreciation for what money allows you to do that can help, you know, sort of change that mindset. Um, confidence, we, I, I call this sort of the linchpin of um, financial psychology. Uh, so if you're overconfident, sometimes you're going to make really bad decisions. But if you're not confident enough, you may be sort of left behind. You may not start saving soon enough. You may not make the best investing decisions also. So building confidence is one of the areas that you would want to start changing. You would want to start implementing a way to build knowledge. And um, whether that's working with someone or, you know, self-study, that's, you know, one one 
area for sure. One of the other areas that you kind of have to be open to is thinking about other people around you in a different way. You know, if in the book and, and several books uh, and research studies, certainly, um, you, you see this, most of the influence that we get in terms of how we spend money, right? So what we buy, what we drive, what we wear, comes from influences from those around us. Um, and really being open to thinking about, okay, how do I need to be you know, kind of living my life in order to meet my financial goals and how are other people influencing me? So I think learning to sort of ignore some of those influences is one way, again, that we would, you know, emphasize because we know that that's related to net worth long-term, um, you know, being able to sort of ignore what other people do. So those are the couple of the areas that, you know, we would say are, are critical to to becoming or to making some changes in your financial life. So as you're saying that I'm sitting here thinking, you know, the keeping up with the Joneses, that's that's uh that's a that's a big thing. Yeah, yeah. When I think about that and you're talking about having the ability to not worry about what other people are doing around you and that is so hard. Like when I look <laughs> yeah. at not only myself yep. but when I look at my, you know, look at my myself and I look at my friends and the people I hang out with, uh, like we all kind of, you know, dress the same. We all kind of wear the same brands. You all kind of not drive the exact same car, but very similar cars and live in similar neighborhoods. Like we, my, my wife and I were talking about moving and she says, I, I wanted to move to this in particular side of town. And she's like, well, that's going to be far away from all of our friends. And like we make decisions based on uh, relationships that we have. And I really didn't think about it until I, I've read the book, but didn't, you know, and I read, I read the book, I thought about it, but now once again, having to be reminded that, yeah, you, you have to make decisions that are based on where, where you're at. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think, I think people often hear me say that, you know, talking about kind of that social influence and it sounds harsh, you know, like, okay, well, can I not have any friends? I mean, you do, you do tend to do the same things, right. That, that, and, and, and want to do the same things as the people that you hang out with. But, you know, I think that it's just everything in moderation. So it's the same, you know, here is, you know, ensuring that you're keeping your financial goals at the top of your mind, even when you're kind of moving through your day and, and through your weekend, let's say, um, when it comes to those that you're hanging out with. Absolutely. And one thing that I, I'll say is just kind of simple thing I say, I, my wife knows I say it all the time, but I'll say, you know, we're not counting other people's money. Right. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Exactly. We, we don't wear that on our sleeves. That's right. We don't have our, our net worth attached to us. Yep. Yep. Just That's walk true. around with the shirt yep. that has numbers. Like, What's that? No, that's my net worth. That's we don't do worth. that. Yep. Yep. <laughs> but, uh, okay. So I did want to, you know, the, this is the minority money podcast. I wanted to throw this question out there. Yeah. What are some of the differences that you found with minorities in studies. Yep. Yeah. And, and so one of the things, you know, of course, as you know, in 1996, um, that population was primarily, um, you know, uh, white males uh, mm -hmm. and, and older, probably, I think the, the average age was like 65, I want to say something like that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we, we 
did see a, a similar kind of demographic in our sample, although we didn't ask for um, racial or ethnic group membership in this mm-hmm. study. Mm-hmm. But what we have done at data points is because we are con- we are constantly collecting kind of this behavioral information about individuals. So we began doing that back in 2015 and 16. So thankfully, we have that information. What we tend to see is regardless of ethnic group membership or um, even gender, those kind of characteristics, some of the ones that I just mentioned, still tend to predict financial success long-term. So even if there are some differences in terms of averages, right? So maybe one group is more frugal than the other. We've, we've seen women in some cases that are, are more frugal than men, depending on the population. Um, it, it's, it's still the case that being frugal, being confident, ignoring what other people are doing are predictors of financial success, regardless of whether you're, you know, 25 or 55. And, and so, you know, I think that that's what's a little bit different about the work that we do is that we're focusing on what are the behaviors that you're engaged in. So we haven't done too much uh, else around that in terms of, you know, we we know that there are differences in income. Those are very clear. Um, If you look at um, any of the governmental data that's out there in terms of ethnic group as well as gender groups. And so we know that there are differences. uh, But in terms of what it takes to actually succeed at financial management, those are the same no matter who we're talking about. I think that should be encouraging to people. So on one side, you know, there are some systemic things that are set up. Um, There are some, some, you know, there's some things that you just can't overcome. Right. And so I guess that, that leads us to the next thing. Like no matter what race, color, creed, sex, ethnicity you are there. I, I like the underlying factor that there are some behaviors that you can exhibit that are going to help you in your pursuit to become wealthy and living your rich life, which is going to be your rich life, not the life that someone else tells you is rich. Right. Yeah, absolutely. There are definitely things. I think, I think that that's what, um, I guess, you know, I, I, in terms of kind of a mission of, of mine and in this field is to really, again, identify what it is we can do something about, right? So what, what are the things I can do, you know, versus, okay, you know, you're a female, you're in your 40s, you know, you look like this, you were born here, you know, this is generally what's going to happen. It's like, well, wait a second, what can I actually do to change my trajectory? And so that's really been the focus of, of what we've done at Data Point since the beginning. And I, and I think, you know, my father wrote a book, uh, wrote the Millionaire Women Next Door book, which uh, came out, uh, gosh, I want to say that was 1990. No, it was 2004, I think. And I think people were like, uh, still today, I mentioned this last week that to someone and they hadn't ever heard of it because, you know, back in that time, I guess, you know, people weren't really focused on, oh, should we be looking at, you know, a gender difference? Well, yes, there are some differences there. Let's talk about that and figure out if there are similar characteristics. And thankfully there were, but yeah, absolutely. I think that it's really important to focus on what we can do because, Again, that's really a lot of what we can control versus everything else in our environment. So what are some of the controllable things versus the non-controllable things? If you could talk about that, because it, it's, I think it's a, I think it's a great point that you bring up. Yeah. So I, you know, I think when we think of, when we think of those two kind of categories, we tend to put 
things like demographic characteristics into the non-controllable. I mean, with some exception, right? Like I can pretend that I'm in my early 30s, but I'm not, right? <laughs> so, you know, it, it, things like what you mentioned, you know, race, ethnicity, uh, age, uh, gender, and so forth, gender identity, that kind of thing. I can't do much about those things. But what I can do is, you know, continually learn. I can uh, set goals for myself. I can behave in a way that's going to allow me to achieve my goals. It may not be easy and I may fail sometimes, but those are the things that I can control. I can control the way that I save and spend and invest. And so I think that that's, that's the, what's important to remember. And again, that's what we're trying to focus on is how can I improve my attitude and personality when it comes to how I'm managing my financial life. It's so like just listening to this and knowing what you do and thinking about all the data that's surrounding this, this is like not something, this isn't something that you're making as a, as a suggestion without data to support it, right? <laughs> right. Yes, like there's, that's correct. There's yep. years of data to support that no matter what, you know, group you fall into or relate to, if you practice these principles, they're timeless. Right. Yeah, exactly. These behaviors, like, you, you know, you can be good now, you'll be good 20 years from now, you'll be good 40 years from now. The next generation, if you've taught them the principles, they will have a leg up on everyone or, you know, on things just because of the behaviors that they exhibit. Yeah. You know, and, and one thing I should, I, I, I think that's absolutely true. I think one thing I, I should mention too, though, is, and we kind of talked about this earlier, but you know, if you're in a situation where, you know, your income level, for example, is, you know, at the poverty line or even close to it, um, or, you know, you're barely kind of scraping by, that is going to be a challenge no matter what. And so I, I think I, I wanted to make sure that I mentioned and, and, and acknowledged the fact that um, while, you know, all these things that we're talking about becoming more confident or knowledgeable, you know, ignoring what other people are doing, they are super critical if you're trying to build wealth. You know, if you are in a situation where, um, you know, your financial, in, in terms of your income, things are uh, a bit more challenging, then there are other hurdles. And so we don't tend to focus too much on that. Like, so for example, we don't have data for individuals that make less, let's say, than a household income of $25,000 a year. So I wanted to make sure I acknowledge that because it is important to, well, to acknowledge. And then again, our research tends to focus on individuals that have a higher level of income. What is the level, and, and you do bring up a good point, and I, I think that it's important for listeners that are, you know, that may hear this, that aren't um, making that money, that are living close to the poverty line. Yep. That is the current situation. That's not your destination, yep. right? Yep, yep. It, it does not always have to be that way. Um, and and I say this with love in my heart. I say this uh, as humbly as I can. I mean, this is coming from, you know, people that hear me now, people that know me personally know that, you know, there was a time when. I myself was, you know, I remember going to the store and using food stamps. Yep. I remember, you know, when I actually had paper food stamps, you didn't get to look cool with the card. <laughs> yep. I remember, yep. you know, getting free lunch from school because that's what we had to do. I had to get a free lunch. I remember having tough times. We didn't go without food. I'm not going to sit here and say we did that. Right. But there was some difficult times. I'm not saying that I'm, <laughs> I'm not a millionaire now, but what I am saying is if you're in that situation now and you're looking there and you're in that valley of despair. I'm telling you, look up to the hills and make it there because it's going to be hard. It's not easy to get to the hilltop. It's not easy to get 
anywhere that you want to be outside of that current situation. And sometimes you, you know, you can be so wrapped up in where you're at, you won't look at where you possibly can come. Could be, yeah. And and I always like to reference the reason why your windshield is so much bigger than your rearview mirror is because where you're going is more important than where you've been. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think, you know, my, my father certainly lived that out. You know, he, he grew up in a very blue collar neighborhood uh, in New York City, outside of New York City, and definitely, uh, you know, his family was never at the top of the heap, um, if you will. And so, you know, uh, grad school was a stretch, pay for that, you know, always was working since I think he was 14 or 15. Like that just, that was what he experienced. And, you know, it was his hard work that, that led to, to what he did and, and the success that he had. That's yeah. And and so that's, I just wanted to throw that out there just for people that, that may be in that situation because we, you know, we, we don't, I don't know where everyone's at, but I, I know where you can be and hard work. Uh, we'll get you there. So just, you know, just, I just wanted to put that in there. The next thing. So talk to us about data points. Cause we've been, I mean, we've talked about it, we've mentioned it and I'm sure the listeners are like, what, what is this data points or data points? However you want to pronounce it. What tell, talk to us about that. What is, what is that? Yeah. So that is a company that I founded based on my father's research. So it really is kind of tying in the psychological side of financial planning of personal finance and you know helping people understand their characteristics that's really our our focus is on understanding characteristics so that then you can figure out hey what do i need to improve on you know what am i doing great with so our we have created assessments to help understand your financial behaviors and attitude and um, risk tolerance right so am i a good investor for example so we have a platform that advisors use and they use them with their clients and we also also have research assessments on our website that you can take. So you can go to datapoints.com and you'll find them there. But they are really designed to, again, sort of identify where you are today and in terms of different areas of of psychology. So attitudes, values, uh, behaviors, all those things. And so we continue the work that my father did uh, by by really looking at lots of different types of people, right? So he focused on millionaires. We've broadened that to say, like I said at the beginning, you know, what are the behaviors that allow someone to become the next millionaire next door? And that's that's really what uh, the focus of our business is today. The, some of the tests that you have on there, I've taken one of them. Uh, I've taken actually a couple of them. I, I think that, you know, it's always fun to take tests and everybody wants to get the results. Maybe we can make that, maybe we can get a link and make that available in the Facebook community for people that are listening to this, that they could go in and take that exam. Yeah, absolutely. There's like, yep. there, there was a few of them. And, and the finding, like when I took the exam, it, it was, it was kind of scary how accurate it was because I, you know, I shared it um, with, with uh, my wife. And so when we were talking about it, I was like, I read exactly what the description was of me. And she was like, yep, that's you. I was like, Oh wow. You didn't even let me, I mean, I can finish it. She was like, yeah, you do that all the time. That's exactly, that's you. I was like, "Uh, but what about the other things that I did well on it? So we did, both of us did it and we were able to compare our scores and I was like, yep, that's what you do. So it, it really talked spoke to the the behaviors that we had or that we didn't have i think it was it, they didn't call it keeping up with the joneses but it was like your social yes social social indifference that's yes. the one that doesn't sound so nice but it's good for your finances definitely yes. yep 
so social indifference, there's another area that it measures in that in particular test that was important. It was, it measures frugality. Yep. Yep. Which there's like, I think there's always that big thing. uh, People talking about being frugal. Frugal to me doesn't mean that um, you can't have, you know, your favorite coffee drink from your place ever. Exactly. Yep. And, And there's so many people out there that are talking about stuff like that. You need to stop eating out. I'm like, okay, that's fine. Yeah, you 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 don't need to eat out every day, but you know, once a week ain't going to hurt you. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, if it fits in, that's right. Yep. So, but yeah, I think that would be great if we could link to that in the Facebook community so people could could actually take that test. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. So, we'll we'll get that there for them. One of the things I wanted to talk to you about because we talked about it before was was financial literacy. What what are your thoughts around that? Cuz I I love to hear it. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things that we've been, um, you know, again, we're focused on financial psychology at data points. And one of the things that we found through the research that we've done, as well as as part of the book, was to look at the impact of building knowledge. And, you know, there's so many um, programs out there today on financial literacy and, um, you know, they're stressing the importance of it even in high school, which is great. I think I think building knowledge is fantastic. What we've seen in, in terms of the academic research that's out there and also our own research is that time and time again, while knowledge is important and building knowledge, becoming confident is important, what tends to be, um, you know, more important, if you will, is that behavioral side of confidence. But I think I mentioned, you know, again, confidence is sort of this linchpin that if you have the knowledge, but you're not making good decisions, then, you know, what's that knowledge great good for, right? So I think it's always important to remember that even if you're building your knowledge, it's still important to remember what those critical behaviors are to building wealth because the knowledge without application, right, without doing what what we know we're supposed to do is kind of worthless. And so I think that that's one of the things that's important to remember as well because there's so much emphasis right now on financial literacy, which I think is awesome, but it's just, it's got to be coupled with, uh, you know, doing the right thing when it comes to saving and spending and investing. Absolutely. I think that as, as a parent, uh, I think we have to take some responsibility in talking about financial literacy at home if you know about it. Mm-hmm. And if you don't, then that goes back to your first point about, about learning more about mm-hmm. finances, about increasing your your knowledge of, of of personal financial matters, so that you can give some of that language to your kids and that knowledge to your kids. And then the most important thing is applying that knowledge. So knowledge is not power, right? In itself, but applied knowledge is where the true power comes. Yep. Is anything else on that, Sarah? Yeah, you know, I think it's a great point. I think teaching, you know, the people around you as you learn is important. And it's also important to remember kind of, you know, who you're getting your information from. So if you're, again, if you're working with a financial planner, CFP, or, you know, fee-only planner, that's that's one way to build knowledge. Um, I think it's always important to, to understand that you don't want to be taking advice from somebody maybe that has a conflict, right? Those kinds of things. So it's not only building your knowledge about financial matters, but also understanding kind of the universe of people that might be able to help you in the future. Great. That's that's awesome. So like I said before, this is the, the Minority Money Podcast where we're trying to change the complexion of wealth. And Sarah, for you, what what motivates you or inspires you to continue to grow and learn? 
for me, it's really hearing from people that have been touched by the work and by the research. Um, we still receive emails from people that read The Millionaire Next Door now that have read the new book and hearing their stories and how, you know, the, again, the research and the data and the way that, again, my father uh, before me presented that information back and the impact that it had on their lives is, is pretty amazing. And I think that that's what keeps me going for sure. That's awesome. And, and once again, thank you for the work you're doing. It has made an impact in, in my life, uh, in the life of my families. And, uh, it's, it's awesome. So, and I'm actually going to go find that, um, million, the next woman millionaire. Yeah. Millionaire women next door. Millionaire yep. Women. They stuck the women in there in the middle. I, I was like, it, didn't, <laughs> yep. it, didn't flow. it sounds weird. But it doesn't, yeah, flow. doesn't flow. It doesn't flow. But yeah. I'm going to look for that. So I, I I'll, I'll yeah. read that too. Do you think education plays a big role in wealth building? Well, we know that education is certainly related to um, income levels. And and so I think that, you know, it's definitely important. I think today what's becoming more important, again, if we're talking about, let's say, college graduates, is the, you know, their major and their focus on, you know, on the STEM, for example, jobs that are out there. I think there was just a study that came out, um, bankrate.com ranked the salaries by undergrad major. And of course, at the top were all the engineering, naval engineering and things like that. And at the bottom were all the fine arts majors, you know. So I think education absolutely plays a part in it. We talked about the literacy piece, but more than that, it can impact your income level for the rest of your life. So I think understanding that from an early age it can be useful for families. But you know, if you're in a career today that maybe feels like it's not going anywhere, it's important to see what your options are in terms of education. I think that there are a lot of individuals that are switching you know, entire careers within their 30s, 40s, and even 50s. So it's, um, it really is never too late. Awesome. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more on that. If, as we wrap up here, Sarah, what would you say, if you had one piece of advice that you could give to our listeners, or a few, <laughs> piece of advice, pieces or piece or pieces of advice that you could give to our listeners, what, what would that be? Yeah, you know, I think it would be to become more aware of what you're doing when it comes to finances. I've had to do that as my my husband and I both left our jobs to start our business and we left, you know, he was an attorney, I was a psychologist at the company, you know, we 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 were pretty set in terms of our income but we changed things, right? By by trying to start our own business and I think that the way that I've been able to change the way that I've spent money and saved and so forth is by becoming aware of what I'm doing. A lot of things that we do are just sort of mindless, like, oh, I'm just going to put this extra thing in here or, oh, I'm making this decision and I don't even know why I'm making it. So just like we talked about before, really recognizing kind of the why behind your behind your behaviors is really critical. And that takes some time to sit down and think about it, whether, you know, it's, in, with your coffee in the morning, kind of going through, okay, you know, how am I going to reach my goals today? Why am I doing some of the things I'm doing? That self-reflection piece is really important. And it's not often what you hear when, when you hear of financial advice. That's, that's awesome. Sherry, like, I, thank you again for coming on. And, and if our listeners want to connect with you on social medias and, and follow you or anything like that, where, where can they get a hold of, of you? 
Yeah. So uh, datapoints.com is our website. And so you can reach at me there. And I'm on Twitter. So Sarah Falaw, all one word, or Data PTS on Twitter. And we also have Facebook page as well. Nice. Awesome. Sarah, thank you so much for joining us today. And I couldn't, you know, like I, the work that you're doing is so good. And it's so revealing that the timeless habits don't change. They just do not change. If you, if, if you want to be successful financially, there's certain things that you have to do. And thanks for your research. Yeah. Well, thank you for the work that you do and for this podcast. Thank you. Oh, you're making that, that put a smile on my face here. And thank you from you just because I've, I've, you know, when you're sitting here reading the book and doing all that stuff and to actually have you on the show today has been just. Oh, awesome. awesome. So thank you, Sarah. And absolutely. This is the Minority Money Podcast. I'm your host, Emlyn Miles Mattingly. And until next time. Another great showdown, but it doesn't have to stop there. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast in whatever podcast app you're listening to on now. And give it a good rating, would you? If you feel really connected to the podcast, which I hope you do, find our Facebook community, Minority Money VIP, to support and to be supported by others just like you. And again, we're super happy to have you. While this podcast is meant to inspire and motivate you to live your best life, it cannot be completely your one-stop shop. I know, I know, that really sucks. But guess what? If you have any questions, or maybe you just like to chat, please reach out to me directly at imlin at minoritymoney.com so that we can get to know each other there. Thanks for being here, and we're signing off.